Welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Over the last couple of episodes, we've featured conversations between our founder, Ellen MacArthur, and Joe Isles, the Foundation's Circular Design Program Lead. If you've missed the previous two episodes, I really recommend going back to learn more about what we mean by a circular economy and how it works, and also how you can be a part of it. In this final episode, Ellen and Joe look at the role of design in the circular economy and explore what really needs to happen to take us from a wasteful linear economy to a regenerative circular one. But first, let's hear Ellen talk about her journey to working on a circular economy and why it simply isn't a case of consuming less. Back in 2006, seven and eight, when I was kind of trying to make sense of, of what the economy could look like in the future, there was so much talk about using less and traveling less and doing less and everything seemed really reductive. Um, and, you know, yes, you can make something using less material, you can make something losing, using less energy, but ultimately, if you're still using those materials up, then the economy's never going to run in the long term, especially with a growing world population and you know, finite resources. And so I questioned even further and, and researched even further. I read everything I could get my hands on and started to come across ideas like industrial symbiosis, biomimicry, performance economy, sharing economy, cradle-to-cradle -cradle design. You start to think if you get all of these ideas and you kind of bring them together and you look at how you design products and recover the materials and design them to have nothing toxic in, how the products flow through the economy from a performance economy, sharing economy perspective, look at how you design them from a biomimicry perspective, then actually you begin to see this shift from linear to circular. And that um, method that you just described of using a bit less and eking things out, you say it, practically that doesn't really work. That doesn't, that only works for uh, a certain amount of time. Mm. But also it's not particularly um, inspiring to just no. ask people to no. have a small impact to, mm. to minimize what they do rather than trying to um, do more to, to have a things. big impact. Yeah. Absolutely, and in that that kind of you know that reductive feel, that kind of do less, travel less, just everything less. It was really, it really struck me as not a goal. I mean, it was obviously vital in the transition because we have finite resources and we need to be careful with how we use them. But for me, it was in the transition to what you know, what success, what can work, what is about that innovation, creativity, you know, what as you say, you know, the more you can do, the better. You know, we've got a massive opportunity to get this right. What does right look like? That was the question that lay at the centre. And that was really it sounds like that was almost a light bulb moment um, about the problem. So mm -hmm. about the problem of trying to run an economy that's based on finite resources. Mm. What about the light bulb moment for this, the solution that we've been talking about, circular mm. economy? What were some of the milestones that made you realize that there was a different way of doing things? You know, when I first got to grips with the problem and started researching the size of the problem, it's, it's crushing, it it's takes over your life. You know, you kind of think, oh, how, what are we going to do? And you think there's an, a solution. And I couldn't find a solution. There didn't seem to be a, a, a kind of a strategy for moving forwards. Um, and so that was you know, that, that first point of, hang on a minute, there's a really big problem here. The moment you think you could build a different system, the moment you see there's a restorative and regenerative way for our economy to run, that's an opportunity. And for me, that was a switch. The moment I got circular, there was a switch that was flicked and everything was about opportunity. Not easy to get there necessarily, but it was all about opportunity and getting a system to work right. And most people don't have the um, luxury, although the way, hearing you describe your sailing <laughs> around the world is sometimes a, clearly not in luxury. Um, but most people don't go through an experience like that to, mm. um, that can 
um, result in the sort of realization that you that you mentioned about mm. this linear and circular economy. What are some of the things that when you're out talking to people, um, whether they're students, businesses, what are some mm. of the things that result in that kind of same light bulb moment, mm. but without being on a ship, on a, on a boat sailing around the world? I think it's just the, you know, when I talk to people about circular economy, it's just, it's the same thing that I felt. It's that line to a circle. And you suddenly think, oh yeah, there's a, there's a better way. Why would we ever generate waste? Why would we ever design something that's going to become waste? Why would we not regenerate natural systems? You know, why would we build things that are, you know, toxic? It's, 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 a, re it's a real, you know, we've done the industrial revolution model, the linear model for so long that it's kind of become the norm and we're trying to get the best out of it. But when you talk to people about circular, and the economic side as well, you know, the benefit, the economic benefit of shifting to this model, people start to think, well, why wouldn't we do that? You know, why wouldn't you do that? And how can people actually play a part in it? So some of these ideas, they almost feel like they float around. Mm. Um, they're, they're big economic shifts. They're historical shifts in many ways. Mm. What's the role of an individual in that, in that process? Individuals play so many different roles in a circular economy. You know, that individual could be the chief executive of a huge corporation. There's a big role for that person to play. That individual could be a student who's about to study design. That person has a huge role to play. There are different elements. I think different people come into circularity in a different space. You could manage the waste recovery system in a city. You could be a farmer and run your farm in a different way. You could be a citizen that looks at a lease model rather than buying a certain product, which may happen because it's more convenient. Nothing to do with circularity. Um, it, as the plastics packaging shift happens, which it will, um, look at the different packaging options, make sure that that packaging is 100% recyclable as the, the plan is to, to create and play a part there. There are many, many, many different places that you can play a part in the circular economy. But from the foundation perspective, the goal is to get that economy to shift from linear to circular. For many people to play in this space, that will have to happen and they will have to play as a part of that shift. So there's still work to be done, but there's a lot that can be done today. And the hope is that it gets easier and easier for people to play a, a role and to contribute to a more circular economy. I mean, if a circular economy really works, it should be more convenient, it should be cheaper, and it should just be the obvious better option to choose. Or, or maybe those the, the, um, the options, the linear options, the ones that result in waste, the ones that have, have some kind of toxic element, um, the ones that are... Um, they don't regenerate. They don't regenerate. Mm. They, they, those, they, be, they become less of them. That's less opportunity to make the quote-unquote wrong choice. Absolutely. And I think you know companies are really beginning to see the difference between linear and circular. They're really trying to capture circular. It's, it's complex. It will take time. But that is the direction of travel for many organisations now. So though it will take time, the direction is set in stone uh, and it's going to be achieved. However long is the question, but, it's, but the shift is happening. So, and you've been working on this for 10 years now? About 10 years, yeah. What are some of the milestones, the big markers, as you look back up on that kind of decade, what are some of the markers that, of progress that you can see? Oh, there have been so many marks of progress. I mean, the general uptake of the idea has been huge. You know, when you feel it's accelerating, it accelerates even further. Um, there were over 50 million mentions on Google of circular economy last June. The June before, it was 9 million. So the idea itself is really beginning to, to, to ramp up and to increase exponentially. Some of the commitments that we've seen around plastics, that's been, again, a huge point in time when 20% you know, of the global plastic packaging production signs up to say they will become 100% 
recyclable, reusable or compostable. I mean, that itself isn't a big deal. And, that, and that's by 2025. And we've seen education, the uptake of circular economy within education, more and more academic papers published on circular economy. Uh, there's more and more talk around the World Economic Forum, uh, the United Nations around circular economy, the European Commission. The idea really is gaining momentum. There's legislation in place. There's a real kind of pull to try to make the circular economy happen. So we've seen some significant milestones. It's a bit like this: the linear economy that, that works on take, make, dispose is coming up against all sorts of limits. One, mm. the availability of resources and mm. energy. Two, about the sorts of uh, problems associated with that, with pollution, pollution. ocean past, plastic, things like that. But also kind of creativity and, mm. and innovation mm. um, that, that, as you say, everything seems like it's been redesigned. But as soon as discovering certain economy, it's like opening a door to yeah. a whole new range of possibilities. Yeah, And so many possibilities we haven't even begun to understand yet. Your mind just opens out and you think of all that can be done from an innovation perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a creativity perspective. We can do things better. So what about design? Um, you talked about the outset, getting things right from the outset. Why is, why is design so important? When we design something today, we design a product to do a job. So you say, how do I design I know, a, you know, a phone to give me access to my data? You know, it's, it's an incredible piece of technology, but kind of... What happens to it at the end of its life? What happens to a piece of packaging at the end of this, its life? What happens to a garment at the end of its life? You know, every year we're making more and more of this stuff, which is incredibly useful and very valuable. But if you don't think about what happens to it at the end of its life, when you don't think about what system it returns to, then you're ultimately creating waste. And that's the challenge with a linear economy that can be answered by the circular economy. And surely designers must be, they want to think this way. They don't want to think of themselves as just contributing to that waste, abundant waste that you just described. So are there signs that they're responding, that they're embracing this opportunity? There's a definite sign that designers are picking this up. I mean, we've produced something called the Circular Design Guide and we've had phenomenal take-up from designers all over the world picking up ideas around circular economy and, as we hope, applying that to their design principles. But you'd think that circular design would be taught you know, on every design course around the world. You know, Why would you just design something that's beautiful but then you know, become waste at the end of its life, or that, that precious resource in a phone, for example, the rare earth metals, not being recoverable, that's not great design because you've you kind of designed failure into that system. So we see design as, as something which is, you know, the whole system. It's the design of the product, it's the system it sits within, it's the recovery of that product, it's the extraction of the materials or the remanufacture. And then you've built this cyclical system that can run forever. And once you've built that system, if that technology becomes obsolete, which is generally always the case with technology, you've built a system that returns it to you so you can then extract the materials and put them in the next product. If you can run your business without being exposed to, exposed to that risk, why wouldn't you do it? And that's what we've seen is businesses thinking, I want to be there. I want to be in this circular system because we're, you know, we're protected from those risks. We are more in control of what flows through our company. And actually, we give a better service. We give a better product. Why, why, why would we, you lease something rather than, than own it? And why, how is that so linked to circular economy? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we think, you know, we talk about leasing and it doesn't sound that exciting, really. Certainly not to me. But when you look at certain sectors and the growth in certain sectors, it's, you know, there is phenomenal growth. Look at, um, you know, Airbnb. You're effectively leasing someone's room. I mean... And that's grown bigger than any hotel chain in, in a handful of years. And it's just using what's there already. That's one element. You're leasing someone's room, but you call it Airbnb and it's really cool and it's cheap and you can go anywhere in the world and it works. When you look at clothing examples like White Closet in China, over 5 million users and people rent their clothes. 
they pay a subscription every month. There are thousands and thousands of clothing options. And you live in small spaces. You don't have time to go shopping. You don't have space to store things. So why wouldn't you want everything delivered to your house and then taken away when the next lot comes? It's a system that works. It works for people. It's more efficient. They don't do it because they want to lease their clothes. They do it because it, it just works. It's, it's a phenomenal way of them getting access to what they need every day for work and for, for home. It sounds like there could be some knock-on effects from that example you described about with clothing is loads of delivery. Could we see that being a, one of the negatives? Is that something that people are thinking about, about ways to mitigate some of those negatives that could emerge with a really radically different business model? Well, reverse logistics are really important. And I think, you know, we have a massive uh, increase in numbers of e-commerce across the world. I mean, that's 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 clear. They're some of the biggest growing mar- markets. Um, that's a lot of trucks coming to you with stuff in. What doesn't happen is stuff trucks going from you with stuff in. It's a very, very one-way thing. What leaves you is a dump truck. What leaves you is what goes to the tip. It leaves you in black bins. You know, there aren't, there is not that system for things to leave you in 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 a higher quality way. And that's what we start to see when we start to shift from a buying a product to a product of service. Well, it's a bit like the example you used with um, the car. That there's this big chunk of metal and plastic that's sat mm. doing nothing for mm. most of the time. That there's you always- own. That you actually own. own. You own all the metal, all the materials in your car, but you don't need to because when they break, you don't kind of take it all apart and keep the fabric and keep the metal. We don't do that. We just want the car as a, as a unit. And then there's the uh, insurance and things on top of that. The insurance and, and like that. you know, the, when you buy it, you pay VAT. When you when you, you know, throw it away, you have to pay you know the, the scrapyard or the wreckers yard. The same with the washing machine. You know, you pay tax when you buy it. You own all the materials within it when it's in your home. Um, and then at the end of its life, you pay landfill tax when you throw it away. And actually, when you shift the model, you don't pay any of those. You just pay to have a washing machine that works in your home, which when it breaks is not your problem because you're paying to have a working machine. So it works for you. It's easier. It should function in a better way. And then the manufacturers will build a better machine because it's theirs. They don't want it to break. They're not, again, incentivized in that way to, to sell more and more, to make more money. So they make it so ultimately it will break because if they made the perfect machine that would last for 20 years, they'd never sell another and they'd go out of business. The whole system changes. The incentives change. When we think of leasing technology, perhaps for some people it's, it's a way in the future, but we're seeing big changes with a mobile phone tariffs paying per month where you get a new phone every year, but ultimately the old one goes back to the manufacturer or to the, the contract holder. And Apple in the US, they have a new Apple tariff whereby you pay a subscription and you get the new phone every single year. People love that because they don't want the old phone. They want the latest technology. They want access to their information. So this really is happening all over. And you say something that seems far off, but it doesn't seem that long ago when people would have large CD or DVD uh, collections, walls mm. of shelves. Of, yeah. But now people pay just to access music, whether it's on something like Spotify or Absolutely. films on Netflix. They don't mm. own those. So it does feel like there are certain certain business models that we really take for granted, but they weren't around. They weren't around. Ago. No, the world is changing very, very quickly. And, and, and like you pointed out, almost without us noticing, you know, the, the, there's big change. And it, and it seemed like something that you didn't have to make necessarily a, a big conscious decision to do. It just right. seemed like something that was a bit more convenient. So you, and I think so. that's the point. It, it was convenient. It was easier. It was cheaper. You know, I can just buy one song for, you know, X number of pence rather than having to go out and go to town and buy the single or the album. It's It works for you like that song there, bang, 
it's it's efficient, it's 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 effective, and it and it's it's actually a, a really cheap way of doing things. And that's the way we see the shift towards a circular economy happening. Whether it's leasing clothing, having access to technology or music or whatever that might be. Because circular economy isn't a completely new idea. The, the, I think the term has been around since maybe the seventies or eighties as a kind of a very embryonic idea. Um, but I like this this idea from the. Um, Ken Webster has said that circular economy is a new way of seeing the world and digital technology is a new way of acting within it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that speaks to the moment we're at now or the moment we've been in um, on the verge of for maybe the past 10 or 15 years that um, there is this new demand for a way of seeing the world that mm-hmm. it shouldn't be work in a straight line. It should work in a, in a loop. Um, but digital te- technology is giving us new capabilities of how mm-hmm. we could turn that into a reality. It's an, assen- it's an essential enabler. It's very hard to see how we can shift from linear to circular in the world of today without digital technology, without our phones ena- or, or our IT equipment, actually, more broadly than phones, enabling us to see what is spare in our economy, to see what's available, to see what's possible to use. You know, you couldn't have done that with a yellow pages. <laughs> you know, when you think about Airbnb, suddenly all of these empty rooms get accessed because we have the ability to access them. We can see them on our phone. The technology is there. It couldn't have happened without that technology. There are so many examples of that. You know, Mobike, where you've, you know, you know where the bikes are because there's a tracker in them and your phone can connect to them. It's very, you can unlock very, the very bike clever. using your phone. And I think it's, you can do that in car- with cars yeah, now and with really scooters. It's really clever. Yeah, and that's really enabling a brand new wave of innovation towards circular economy. There are so many things driving the transition to a circular economy, from new technologies and innovations to the inspirational people helping push them forward. I hope this series has whet your appetite to learn more about the circular economy and to get involved. If you're keen to hear more, we have a new series examining more of the systems, loops and cycles that make up a circular economy launching soon. As always, to make sure you don't miss on that series or any other future episodes, Follow or subscribe to the Circular Economy Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It also really helps us if you leave a review if you like what you hear. Thanks for listening and see you next time.